Greetings, Detective. Welcome to the Murder Mystery Company and our new free service, Calm Mystery. We know that many of you need that calm and centered moment, but meditation isn't necessarily your thing. If you're a mystery lover, a crime fan, and could use a break, you've come to the right place. It sure is a suspenseful world out there, but I have good news for you. In this world, the only suspense will come from the world's best writers. For the next few minutes, we're going to close the door on the outside world. First, find a comfortable chair, sofa, or bed. Take a moment to just relax into that spot. Let your body sink in, slowly releasing the day's tension. Just relax. You've earned this time. You need this time for you. Your body will thank you. Now let's take a moment to clear your mind. I want you to focus on two things. My voice and your breathing. Take a deep breath in through your nose. Let it out slowly through your mouth. Now the same thing, but let's breathe on my count. Three counts in and four counts out. Breathe in. One, two, three. Now out. One, two, three, four. As we do this, you're going to slowly relax more and be perfectly ready for tonight's dastardly tale. Now again, breathe in. One, two, three. Now out. One, two, three, four. One more time, breathing out the last bit of stress. Breathe in, one, two, three. Now out, one, two, three, four. Excellent. Tonight's tale of mystery, intrigue, and murder is truly spine-tingling. Calm Mysteries the sequel by Jeffrey Deaver, read by Perry F. Bruns. Frederick Lowell's life returned to normal. No more secret manuscripts, no family drama, no ghosts from the past. He negotiated contracts, fought with publishers, made difficult or joyous calls to authors, kept an eye on the literary marketplace, and pestered countries in the Eurozone for timely payments of royalties. Imprudent borrowing by the government was not, he emphasized time and again, his author's problem. One interesting development was that he'd taken on a new client. Anna Goodwin had decided to take up her father's fallen standard and write a book about the co-murder, updated, of course, to include the recent developments. One day, Lowell returned from a midtown lunch with a publisher, sat down at his desk, and looked over a stack of contracts. Caitlin appeared in the doorway. New ink? he asked, eyeing her wrist. She beamed. 
In Lowell's Father's Day, a boss would earn points for spotting a secretary's new bracelet or hairstyle. Now it was a tattoo he was admiring. A tasteful butterfly. Like it? Beautiful. Hurt? Can't begin to describe it. This just arrived. She handed him a package marked Personal and Confidential. No return address, though the postmark was Beverly Hills, California. He opened it up and gasped as he stared down at a copy of Anderson's Hope. There was a note attached. Franklin, way super chatting with you a month ago. Read in the paper about that crazy effort burning up those copies of that sequel you were interested in. Thought I'd check our archives. Seems that Goodwin sent somebody here a copy in the spring of 67. Found it. Thought I'd plane it your way. Ira Lepke. P.S. Shot the pages to my develop people here. They eyeballed it, but decided it didn't atmosphere. Wasn't shy or Tatum-worthy. You know how it is. Sorry. Lowell gave a breathless laugh. Oh, my God. He put both hands on the manuscript, took a deep breath, and then flipped through it, in part to make sure it actually contained printed pages rather than blank ones, a possibility that made no sense but wouldn't have surprised him one bit. But yes, all 540 pages were filled with Goodwin's prose, from the title to the end. And then he shook his head ruefully at his producer's decision to decline to make a movie sequel to Cedar Hill's Road. You know how it is. Frederick Lowell had been selling or not selling properties to Hollywood for years. Yes, he knew how it was. He called to Caitlin. Cancel everything for this afternoon. Sure, Frederick. You have a meeting? No, I'll be here. I've got some reading to do. Two weeks later, at around 7 p.m., the huge form of Preston Malone settled into a couch in Lowell's 7th Avenue office. The two men had planned a celebratory dinner this evening. Before Malone had arrived from Long Island, Caitlin, bless her heart, had voluntarily wiped down most surfaces. At least those where elbows met wood, so the men's sleeves would remain largely grit-free. Today, the construction work outside had been particularly vigorous. It was now that interstitial period after working Manhattan has faded, and evening Manhattan has yet to shake the water from its wings and get on with the serious business of food, culture, and romance. The streets were, in short, peaceful, a serenity that was aided and abetted by the silken air of a spring evening. Bourbon? the lawyer asked. The American beverage seemed a better choice for celebration than French champagne. Ah! Glasses appeared, grit-free, Lowell was proud to note. Some maker's mark splashed into the faux crystal. I'm afraid there's no ice. That's the way Edward liked it said the biographer, his voice dipping reverently at the man's name. Malone inhaled the heady liquor and sipped. I can't thank you enough, Frederick. You're single-handedly responsible for bringing the greatest writer of the 20th century to the attention of a whole new generation of readers. Lowell enjoyed a bit of liquor, too, nodding, though he was embarrassed at the adulation. He reflected, too, that Malone's dialogue was as stagey as his prose. Malone sat forward over the coffee table and flipped through some of the articles about Goodwin that had been published in the past few weeks, and not only in art sections, but in the national and business news, too. He smiled regarding the headlines that mentioned the author of Cedar Hills by name. His joy was evident, as one would expect from a man who was sustained by all things Goodwin, the way a hummingbird thrives on nectar. Lowell glanced at the top article, from Publishing Times. Industry experts report a resurgence in the sales of the mid-century classic Cedar Hills Road by Edward Goodwin. While never out of print since its publication in 1966, 
Shipments of the novel have fallen steadily in recent years, as American readers turn to foreign, experimental, and ethnic-oriented writing. However, the book's publisher is reporting the highest sales this month in ten years. The reason for the surge has been attributed to the recent revelation that a prisoner Goodwin was interviewing with the intention of writing a true crime book was in fact innocent and had been set up to take the fall for a murder committed by his own brother. The prisoner, John Everett Coe, was executed for the crime of murdering his mother in Bucks County, Pennsylvania in the 1960s. An attorney working for the state of Edward Goodwin discovered facts suggesting the identity of the real killer. I was pursuing some rumors that Edward had written a sequel to Cedar Hills Road, said Frederick Lowell, 72, of Manhattan. Documents and other information I found told me that John Coe, the man executed in 1967, was probably innocent. I contacted the police, and they took it from there. This story, the true TV, real crime element of Lowell's mission, is what had put Cedar Hills back on the bestseller list. But what had most firmly preserved the reputation of Edward Goodwin was something else altogether. The answer to that was found in a later portion of the article, a throwaway line. And I'm sorry to report that my search for an extant copy of the sequel to Cedar Hills Road was unsuccessful, Lowell added. Malone swallowed a sizable portion of bourbon. He looked out the window of the office at the astonishing flutter and sweep of lights from the buildings, the cars, the LED billboards, the sun, too, low in the west. He shook his head and sighed. I'm still surprised, to put it mildly. This was a whisper, and I am, too. They were referring to their independent and identical conclusions about Anderson's hope, that it was perhaps the worst novel of the 20th century. Unstructured, rambling, digressive, written in prose not worthy of a hormone-engorged high school student. Characters came and went without explanation. One chapter was practically cut and pasted from Cedar Hills verbatim. For page after page, nothing happened. The story didn't move forward, characters were left undeveloped, and worst of all, Jesse Anderson, who in the first book was the Augie March, the Holden Caulfield, the Frodo, the Katniss Everdeen, the adored centerpiece of the novel turned into, as Malone said accurately, a complete shit. Frederick Lowell had read the manuscript three times over an agonizing several days, desperately searching to see if there was some way to salvage it. But no, it was garbage and nothing but. Lowell and Malone agreed to take the line that the only copies had been destroyed by Samuel Coe. The movie producer, Ira Lepke, knew about it, of course, but Lowell was sure the manuscript was completely off the man's radar. The lawyer had told Malone, I know Hollywood. Once a studio decides there's no movie potential in a book, it ceases to exist. And what happened to the manuscript? Malone now asked. Lowell paused, then said, It's where it ought to be. Sad, Malone said. He was wrestling with the sequel up until his last days fighting writer's block. Depressed, drunk a lot of the time, I'd guess. Lowell said, I'm not so sure. According to the date on the typescript and the letter from Connecticut, he'd finished the sequel early in 67. I like to think that he'd shelved the sequel in February, kept working away on the co-true crime story, and spent his remaining months in Asheville. Maybe with a lover. Could have been that Katrina Tomlinson, the one who liked him to recite to her from the book. Malone laughed. I always wondered what passages she preferred. It was nearly time for their dinner reservation. Before they rose to depart, though, Malone lifted his glass. Let's drink to Edward Goodwin. But Lowell said, He's been toasted plenty. I'd drink to someone else. 
Who? Edward's muse. His muse? Malone asked, frowning. Why her? She deserted him. I disagree, Lowell said. The biographer asked, How do you mean? What if Anderson's hope had been decent? The man lifted a palm. Well, it would have been published around the world. Been reviewed on the front page of the New York Times book review and in hundreds of papers around the country. Sold millions of copies. The lawyer's eyes glinted as he smiled. Ah, that's exactly the problem. Malone shook his head, not knowing where his friend was going. Lowell continued. Cedar Hills Road was one of those books that hit at just the right time and it spoke in just the right voice. It became an icon of an era, a touchstone of literature, one of a kind. A sequel, any sequel, however good, couldn't hope to live up to it. And everyone would come to look at the original differently. It would have been redefined, changed, just by the sequel's existence. It would have been, he summarized, diminished. Malone nodded again. He lifted his glass. All right, then. So here's to Edward Goodwin's muse. To his muse, Lowell echoed, who had the genius to visit once and never again. Their glasses touched and rang. Thank you, detectives, for listening to tonight's Calm Mystery by the Murder Mystery Company. I'm Perry F. Bruns. Would you like to show somebody you care? Is there a mystery fan in your life? Couldn't they use a quiet moment and a great story? I'm doing personal stories of 20 minutes or less. Something personal like this can make a friend or family member feel truly loved in an otherwise dark time. They're only $49, and you can email me at calmmystery, that's C-A-L-M mystery, at gmail.com. In the meantime, stay tuned for more tales to tingle and terrify while giving you a needed break from the outside world. <laughs>